Well, welcome as we can continue our study in the book of Acts entitled 44. And the reason we're calling this study out of the book of Acts 44 is because it's the 44th book in the Bible. And just think about it, church. We have the privilege of coming together every weekend and studying God's word together and being a part of inspiring worship. Wasn't that great worship that we just got out of? I mean, ah, oh, and how incredible is that? And what a blessing. It just uh, it does something in us and it prepares us for a new week. And it's just a great way to, to start out a week and to put God first. And just all the blessings that come into our life as a result of it. But nothing takes the place of studying scripture. You know, God's word is a supernatural book. The Bible is a supernatural book. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that it's alive and it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And as we study through the book of Acts, uh, we're going to find incredible things that happen in the lives of people as they were just hearing the word of God being preached and taught. People were healed, people were saved, people were filled with the Spirit. There was no official altar call. Just as God's word was being proclaimed, miracles happened. So as we sit and listen, Bible, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As we hear the word of God and faith comes into our hearts and we believe on the, the truth of God's word that we are receiving, things can change in our lives. Uh, things can improve in your lives. Uh, that there, there is no case out there that's too tough for God to handle. Amen. Uh, there's no one that is beyond his reach or beyond the grace of God and what it can do in someone's life. But it comes through the power of God's word being activated in our life through faith. So let's pick up where we left off last week. Uh, Acts 1, it's written by Luke. Uh, he was addressing Theophilus. He was talking about the previous book that he wrote, the, which was the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the big theme in, throughout the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. Uh, next weekend, Mother's Day, we'll be in chapter 2, talking about the day of Pentecost. Uh, it's the appropriate time because June, June was the time that Pentecost was celebrated by God's people. Uh, it was uh, in June that the Holy Spirit came 2,000 years ago. So, so much significance this time of the season. Uh, we're starting it right after Easter, which identifies what happened right after the resurrection of Jesus. Well, he appeared for the next 40 days to over 500 eyewitnesses. Uh, and then he, he ascended to heaven. We're going to look at that in just a moment. And then for the next 10 days, between the 40th day uh, after the resurrection of Jesus and the 50th day after the resurrection of Jesus... Uh, right, uh, right after his ascension at, at day number 40, for the next 10 days, the disciples waited and tarried in Jerusalem until the coming of the day of Pentecost, which happened exactly 50 days after Easter. So this is the, these are the exciting things that we're studying. The book of Acts is a, a book of action. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of miracles. There's a lot of life lessons that's going to really enrich our lives and bless us and prayerfully move us to a whole new level spiritually. As, as a congregation, as we honor the scripture by teaching it verse by verse. So let's pick up where we left off. We're in Acts chapter 1, uh, in verse 9. Uh, this is a description of the ascension of Christ. When Jesus leaves the earth and he no longer is present in the earth in a physical bodily form. So this is it. This is the moment. It's a significant moment. Uh, and it says, after saying this, saying what? Well, verse 8, he said, you would receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, and, the, and to the uttermost uh, ends of the earth. Okay? After he said that, the, the last words of Jesus right before his ascension, boom. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. 
Now imagine if you were among the disciples that day, 2,000 years ago, okay? Picture the scene. This is the last time that Jesus, in bodily form, was appearing to his disciples. You're listening to him talk. You can't believe your eyes. You're like, wow, he was dead, but now he's alive. I mean, he was dead, he, literally dead, and now he's alive, and I've eaten a meal with him, and I, I, just, this is, I can't even take it all in, right? And as Jesus is talking, all of a sudden, he begins to elevate. And you're like, whoa, is this Jesus' impersonation of Superman or what, you know? I mean, he's like being lifted up in the air. And you don't know where he's going. You, you, you don't know this. This is happening in the moment. Now, if I were there, I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have grabbed onto his ankles. I'm like, well, you're going, wherever you're going, I'm going with you. I mean, don't leave me here. I mean, why do you get to go? I want to go with you, right? So he starts to ascend, and it says they're watching him, and he's being taken up in a, into a cloud. And we're thinking, well, is it a cloudy day that day? You know, what's this cloud? The cloud is a reference to the Shekinah glory of God. It's a reference to the the presence, the manifest presence of God that would come and appeared in the Old Testament. And when it did, uh, it was like this mist. It was like this fog. And that's how they described it. And so the glory of God is enveloping Jesus. And this is reminiscent of when Elijah, a prophet in the Old Testament, without experiencing physical death, was in a whirlwind. The chariots of God came and in a whirlwind... He was taken alive up to heaven. Now, that would be an experience, right? <laughs> and so this is reminiscent of that. And so Jesus is taken, and they're watching him, and they're, and they're watching him, and they're watching him and, until they can't see him any longer. And look at verse 10. As they strain to see him, Jesus, rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Now, who do you think these two white-robed men were? Who do you think they were? It's not a trick question. They were angels. Angels appeared throughout the ministry of Jesus. Angels appeared throughout the Old Testament. Angels appeared in the book of Acts. Angels can appear even now. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews 13, it says, Entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels unaware, without even being aware of it. Now, it's interesting that in this verse, the Bible describes the clothing they were wearing. It says what? It says that these two men dressed in a white robe. Now, why do you think angels at this moment were dressed in a white robe? Because they're fashionable and and they wear the clothing of the day. So, 2,000 years ago, uh, angels appeared in the fashion that people were familiar with in that day and hour, which was white robes. I just want you to know, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be handed a white robe. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live throughout eternity in a white robe. You know what I'm talking about? I don't even like bathrobes, okay? So I just want you to know that I I can't prove this, but you can't disprove it either. (laughs) When angels appear, they appear according to the custom and fashion of the time frame in which they're appearing. So today, if, two angels, if this happened today, if two angels appeared, they, I, I guarantee they would not be in a white robe. They wouldn't be in white robes. How would they be dressed? Probably like me. <laughs> Close enough. Okay. So, <laughs> um, and then it said this, verse 11, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? So these, these two angels, they're cool. They actually rebuke the disciples. They're like, are you kidding me? Are you going to stay here forever? 
Why are you just standing here staring up into heaven? You know, there's a great truth here. Some people can be so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And then some people can be so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. So there's a balance here, right? So the angels challenge them, and they, they go on and they say this. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday, say that word with me, someday, say it again, someday, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, we don't know, maybe a year from now, maybe five years from now, maybe ten years from now, maybe a hundred years from now, we don't know the day, but here's what we know, someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Isn't that a great promise from these two angels? A promise we can count on, right? One of many in scripture. Yeah, Jesus ascended, he left. He's no longer with us in physical bodily form. He's not going to show up this afternoon in church in physical bodily form. Now, during the 40 days after the Easter uh, resurrection, he did that. I mean, how cool would it be today if Jesus just walked in right now? He walked right up here. Good morning, everyone. I am he. And we all fell back, you know, or something, right? I mean, wouldn't you have a story to tell after church today? Like all your friends, what church you go to? You know, let me tell you what happened at our church today. Wow, Jesus showed up, right? Well, he's not going to do that. It's not going to happen. An angel could show up, but, but Jesus is not going to show up because he ascended. And so he'll, he's not in the earth today in physical bodily form. He's in the earth today through the, through the person and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, of course, by the Holy Spirit, he lives, Jesus lives in our hearts. But right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But here's our hope. Someday. Say it with me. Someday. Someday could be today. Today would be a good day. <laughs> All right? Are you ready? I mean, today would be a good day for Jesus to come back. Someday. We don't know when, but someday he will return. And the ascension is our guarantee. The ascension is a proof that the same way he left, he's going to come back. The Bible describes that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, uh, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ uh, will be raised first, and then we which are alive uh, and remain shall be caught up together with them. That's where we get the word rapture, shall be caught up, raptured up, caught up together with them. Uh, and we will meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Uh, that's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And it describes the second coming of Jesus. You see, the, the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and the second coming of Jesus are all supernatural events. Uh, four of which have already taken place. And if, if, if four of those have already taken place, how many know the fifth one's going to take place, right? He's coming again, church. I just want you, he is coming again. No doubt about it. He's coming again. And that kind of reminds us this is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through. I don't get too comfortable down here, okay? Enjoy God's goodness. Enjoy God's blessings. If he blesses you with a Mercedes-Benz, give it to your wife, <laughs> like Pastor Barry said. Enjoy it. Tithe off of it so you don't, you're not a thief that way, okay? Uh, enjoy his blessings, but, but don't get too comfortable because we're, we're, not, we're not staying around here very long. And in this verse, it says that he was taken away. Nobody likes a loved one to be taken away, especially if that loved one's Jesus, Okay? Some of you have had loved ones that have been taken away. They're no longer here in physical bodily form. But they're somewhere. And if they believed in Jesus, they're in heaven. And someday, look to your neighbor and say, someday. Tell, tell them someday. Someday we're going to be reunited with, reunited with them. Someday uh, it'll be a permanent day 
where we will spend eternity with them. These are the great truths of Scripture, the great promises of Scripture. Why are these important? Well, look at what 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says. It says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him. Say that with me. We shall be like him. How would you like to be the age, the perfect age of 33 throughout eternity? Because how old was Jesus when he died? Thank you very much. He was 33. So the Bible says we're going to be like him. So, you know, 33 is like a perfect age. If you're younger than 30, you know, you don't know very much. Right? You're, just, you're still trying to find your way in life. Uh, you haven't really matured. Uh, and if you're over 40, you're over the hill, right? So I mean, like life's going down, right? So <laughs> I can say that I'm 51, okay? Don't get offended. It's true. But 33, that's like a prime time in life. And so more than likely, we're going to be at 33. That's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I guess that new movie, you know, uh, Heaven's for Real. I guess, remember, I, I, saw, I saw a trailer, you know, and the, and the kid, I guess it's a true story. As long as it doesn't contradict the Bible, I'm okay with it. Uh, the kid says, is this your grandpa? I was like, no. Then they showed him a younger picture, and they go, is this the, the man you saw? He goes, yeah. I'm like, whoa. And he's like, everybody in heaven's young. Whoa. Some of us can't wait to get to heaven just because we're going to be young again. Amen. But here's the big idea. So Jesus is in heaven. Now what? <laughs> you were left behind for a reason. You're here on the earth for a reason, not just to get an education, find a career, get married, have children, buy a house, buy a car, buy a toaster, invest in a 401k, retire, and die, okay? I mean, we're not here just for that. There's got to be more to life than that, amen? We're here to be a witness for Jesus in the world. We're here to be his hands, to be his feet, and we must be busy with our father's business. What, don't you know? I must be about my father's business. Isn't that what Jesus said at the age of 12? At the age of 12, he understood what life was all about. Doing our father's work in the world, in the earth, for his glory. You see, all of us are like this Chinese man, this Chinese farmer. I read a story in my, in my studies, and it uh, happened a long time ago in China, and there was a medical mission, missionary team that went there and this Chinese farmer who couldn't see because he had bad cataracts, he, he went to this medical mission that some loved ones took him there, and they performed surgery on him, and he was able to see, all right? And, 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 and a couple of months later, uh, they, saw, they saw this man at a distance uh, with a rope, a rope, and, and a bunch of people were, uh, had their hands on this rope, and he was leading them. And, and as this, this man got closer, they recognized it was that old farmer, and what he had done is he went and got all of his friends and loved ones and relatives that, that needed eye surgery who couldn't see. And, and with a rope, he led them to this medical mission team uh, so that they could receive their sight. We're, we're like that old Chinese farmer. You see, we were, once we were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And so now what we do is we go and find our friends and family members and loved ones, and we say, come, we, we want to take you to Dr. Jesus. He can fix you, okay? Uh, he can save you. He can give you back your sight. Ultimately, that's what it means to be a witness for Jesus. Now, the first half of Acts 1 is, is pretty exciting, you know, because I mean, Jesus is talking, he's there, and he ascends to heaven. The ascension of Christ means that he ascended uh, before their very eyes into heaven. Um, the disciples now have their marching orders. And what are their marching orders? To go in all the world 
and, and to preach Christ, the Great Commission. Don't just sit around or hang around or, or, or go back to your normal living. There's no going back to your normal living now. You've experienced Christ. Now there's a lost world that we must share the good news of Jesus with. So how's that going to be done? Well, it's going to be done through people. Jesus isn't going to do it. He's commanded you and I to do it. Angels aren't going to do it. They can't preach the gospel, except for one rare occasion when they make a proclamation, but it's not the same kind of evangelizing that we do in the book of Revelation at the end of the world. All right, It's our responsibility to share the gospel. If you don't share it, if I don't share it, it won't be, it won't be shared in the world. That's, all, that's, that's the mandate okay, that we have been handed. So in every generation, the, the responsibility of the church is to make Christ known to their, to their Jerusalem, to their Judea, to their Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And that's going to take leadership. That's going to take structure. That's going to take funding. That's going to take team ministry. That's going to take organization. That's going to take planning. That's going to take preparation. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work to me. Yes. So let's get busy. So that's what happens here. Between day 40, the ascension of Christ, and day 50, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They had 10 days, and they had some business they had to tend to. Now, what we're going to be reading here in, in the second half of Acts chapter 1 may not be too exciting, thrilling, motivating, and inspiring, but it's divinely recorded in Scripture for our exhortation and for our edification and for our comfort, for our learning and our training in righteousness. Church work is a challenging work because you're trying to get a bunch of people together that pretty much don't like one another to start liking one another, you know, and, and, and working together for the common good of making Christ known in a community. Those of you that didn't laugh had not been a part of a church very long, okay? <laughs> Those others that were laughing were like, yeah, I know what he's talking about, okay? All right, so let's dive into it now. Uh, the, whole, the, the key word in, in Acts 1 is witness, right? And so now in this section, we're to be a witness of leadership, Okay? Uh, verses 12 through 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. That, that's where the ascension took place. How cool. Uh, it's interesting. The prophet says he'll, Jesus will come back uh, at the second coming to the Mount of Olives, and then he'll stand on it, it'll split, and then it'll be a river. It's, it's just it's amazing. Anyway, so the Mount of Olives is significant. Uh, it was a distance about half a mile. So they walked from the Mount of Olives, okay to the temple, or excuse me, but to Jerusalem, and they went to a home, an upper room, right? And what's interesting about this is they, they receive this command in verse 4 of Acts 1, and they're, they're, they're obeying what they were instructed by the Lord to do, to tarry in Jerusalem, right? Not in Nazareth, um, not anywhere, anywhere else, but in Jerusalem, because that's where the day of Pentecost was going to take place in about 10 days. Uh, what's beautiful about this is they, they, they obey. They could have been distracted. They could have went back to their old professions. They could have went on a mini vacation. You know, they could have done a number of things, but they went back to Jerusalem to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it speaks about obedience to us. Um, obedience is doing what you know you should do, even if you don't know why you should do it. They didn't really know why they needed to wait in Jerusalem, but they knew they were supposed to wait in Jerusalem, and that's real obedience. Real obedience in your life and my life shows up when we do what we know we should do, even if we don't know why we're doing it. So obedience is doing what you know you should do, even if we don't know why you're doing it, but you do it anyway because you're obeying. Are you confused yet? 
Repeat after me. <laughs> Obedience is doing what you, don't, what you know you should do, even if you don't know why you should do it. God says do it, so just do it. Don't question it. Just do it. And there's always a blessing that's attached to it. So, hey, credit to these early disciples. You know, we're here today because they obeyed. I mean, this is, this, God was depending on, on this, this, this group of individuals. If they failed, God forbid, if a terrorist blew them all up, who knows where we would be today. Jesus invested God invested all of heaven, all the resources in heaven, in this, this group, this group of, of, of disciples, 12 apostles, well, 11 right now because one backslid. Everything was invested in them. If they failed to show up at this moment in time, there would be no church of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, when they arrived, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Okay, so... This is the upper room where the day of Pentecost took place. And more than likely, we don't know this for certain, it's the same upper room where Jesus was a few weeks earlier where he had the Last Supper with his disciples. And he taught them about the Holy Spirit. You can read about what happened on Thursday prior to Good Friday where he washed the feet of his disciples and he taught them about the Holy Spirit, John 13, 14, 15, and 16. And then, of course, John 17, Jesus prays, uh, the most incredible prayer that's ever been prayed. A prayer of Jesus that, that's recorded in John 17. It's absolutely amazing. Um, so this is that, perhaps that same upper room. It had to be a large home. Okay? Somebody had some, some wealth. Okay? It had to be a large home because, listen, in a few months you're going to find out 120 people were in that upper room. All right? So when they arrived, they went upstairs to the house where they were staying. Here are the names. I love the detail of Scripture. Okay, here are the names of those who were present, right? Because this is a historical fact. The Bible is a historical document as much as it is a supernatural revelation of God in the world today. It's a historical document, and there are times and there are locations and there are people that are named to help validate to us some 2,000 years later that we're not reading some fictional fable story here. This actually happened. So here are the names of those who were present. Peter. He's the first one to be named. He's always the first one to be named. Even, even in the Gospels, you know, when, they, when they talked about the, the inner circle of Jesus' apostles, there was Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter was the lead guy. All right? We don't select who the lead person is. God ultimately selects who the lead person is. At this particular time in church history, Peter was the lead man. Later on in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul becomes the lead guy. But right now, Peter is the man. Okay? So Peter's mentioned first. Uh, John, James, here are the apostles, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot. I'd like to have that name, Carl the zealot, you know. But they would really check you out at the uh, airport, right, in security. You have that last that, a term, a nickname, the zealot. You know, they'd be like checking everything out about you. Uh, and then the other guy that's there is Judas, but not Iscariot, Judas, the son of James. How would you like to be stuck with that name? rest of your life, Judas. No, I'm not that Judas. I'm another Judas. I'm Judas, son of James. Because they didn't have like last names like we have today. They were identified by Carl, son of Carl, you know, or, or Tom, son of John, right? Um, your lineage was traced back by your father and your father's father and all the way down, right? So this is Judas, son of James. Now, if I was Judas, son of James, I would go down to the county clerk's office, you know, I would change my name. I would immediately change my name. Poor guy. Right? But here's the key thing about this. These names were listed. These are the list 
of the names of the faithful. Is your name listed anywhere? Are you a part of a community of faith where people know you, where people can count on you, where people can depend on you, where you have become a part of the team and that you're a contributing member of that team? You see, everyone needs to be a part of a local church. Uh, it touched my heart when we, when we went through the series, The Son of God, and uh, we invited you to open up a home and be a part of, uh, of a life group campaign for the four weeks that we went through that series. And I was so blessed. We had a, a hundred uh, life groups that were started. Many of you started a life group and you had never done anything like that before. And many of you participated in those life groups. Many of you invited friends and family members to come and learn about Jesus. And I just want to salute you, Trinity Church, and I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for showing up big time. Amen? That's awesome. So your name should be listed among the faithful. Verse 14. Watch, listen, follow very carefully. They all met together. Everybody say together. So they weren't Skyping from different places throughout the city of Jerusalem, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But they all physically, literally met together. Everybody say together. together. Look to your neighbor and say, we're together. Come on. Right? Okay. They all met together and they were constantly united in bickering. Did I read that right? No, I'm sorry. Wait, let's try it again. They all met together and they were constantly united by strife. No, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong here. Let me try it one more time. Read it out loud with me. Maybe that will help, all right? They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. 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 The real activity of the church. Prayer. Prayer doesn't do anything. No, no, prayer does everything. Prayer is everything. Prayer is the thermometer of the church. It reveals the spiritual temperature of the church, not, not, the, not the size of the church, not the attendance of the church, how that church prays determines how spiritual that church is. You know, I, I want to challenge you in love today, Trinity, that uh, I have the privilege to be called your pastor. Those of you that are visiting, thank you for being here. Hopefully you have a pastor, some of you call your pastor. And if I can speak for all pastors, okay, uh, we have failed in our ministry. We have failed our churches. If by our example, and it doesn't mean that we're perfect, that we bat a thousand all the time, but we fail the church if by our example and through our teaching, we do not inspire you to read more of God's word and to make it a daily part of your life. I remind you constantly that I read through the Bible in a year. My cycle is ending here in July, and so I'm almost completed reading through the Bible in a year. That's on my own devotional reading. Yes, I have to read the Bible to prepare for messages. I just don't go to sermon.com and download them, okay, <laughs> for your information. Uh, I, I read hundreds of pages in my research for one message. So on top of having to read all that I have to read and research for one, just one sermon, I have my own personal reading, devotional reading, right, of, of God's Word. And so I know it can be done, and I challenge you to do it. We all have 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day. Uh, and the Bible reading program I'm on, they give you off on Monday. 
okay? So on Monday, it's, it's called Devotional Monday, whatever. And so you don't, you know, you don't read Scripture on Monday, you, you go through a devotional. Um, so we can all do it. And the second area, if, if we fail in this area, we have failed you as pastors. If by our example and through our teaching, we don't inspire you to develop a more intimate prayer life. Prayer is what gives us power, church. Prayer is what will give you power to be the husband God's called you to be, to be the wife God's called you to be, to, to be the parent God's called you to be, to be that, 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 that uh, godly young adult who's not married yet and temptation is all around you and it's so easy in our society today to simply just give in. Everybody else is doing it. It's prayer and scripture, the combination that allows you to live a separated life, to live a holy life. Without prayer, we're powerless. And so this, you know, a couple weeks ago for Easter, we had over 7,000 people that attended our, our weekend services for Easter, and we thank God for that. Over 300 people gave their life to Christ. We thank God for that. But church, when we call for a prayer meeting, let's not have just 100 people that show up. Thank God for the 100 people that show up. But when we call for a special time of prayer, we all need to make it a priority. I know we can't come to all of them. I don't come to all of them. But we can make it a priority. This is what fuels a church and allows it to be an influence for change, to drive back the darkness that's trying to invade our country and our world right now. We're only going to win the battle on our knees as we pray and call out to God for his grace and mercy. May we become a prayer-believing power scripture reading church they were united in prayer may we be united in prayer and then it ends verses 15 through 26 being a witness of the word here's what happens it's not a very happy ending okay there was a there was a big uh, a big event that occurred in the life of the early church and what happens during this 10 days is Peter, the lead guy, he begins to read through Scripture and he realizes as he's studying Scripture, something's undone. We need to fix it. We're down one man. We're down one man. There were 12 apostles and, and one, one backslid, Judas. And the news of Judas spread throughout all of Jerusalem. This was a great scandal. This was a very hurtful moment in the life of the early church. This was a very hurtful moment in the life of Peter. Because Peter, Judas, was a companion and a colleague of Peter and the other, of the other apostles. They lived together, ate together, laughed together, worked together, fought together, cried together, and lived with Jesus for three years. And were under the tutelage of the rabbi, Jesus, the master, for three years. And Judas betrayed Christ. And Peter's having to deal with this issue now. There's one man down. We need, to, we need 12 apostles. There were 12 sons of Jacob. There are 12 thrones represented in the book of Revelation in heaven. 12 is an important number, a number of completion. And we're down one man, so we need to tend to this business. Some people read this and think it's not that important. You know, why, why'd they do this? No, it was important, and Peter's inspired to do this. Now listen, whatever God wants to do, he's going to do it through men and women. So during this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. You can feel the disappointment and the pain in Peter's 
in Peter's voice as he's sharing this because Peter's thinking, what gives me the right to stand up and to address this before this congregation? Because just a few weeks ago, I myself denied the Lord three times. Before a young girl, I even cussed to, to, to prove that I was not one of his disciples. I feel ashamed, but Christ has forgiven me and Christ has restored me. And so here I am, incomplete as I am, but whole in Christ. And but for the grace of God, there go I. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? One betrayed, one denied. What is actually what was worse? But Peter found grace and received grace. Judas didn't. And Judas committed suicide. Imagine that. This new found faith, Christianity, is about to be launched in 10 days. And the scandal of Judas is throughout the entire city of Jerusalem. And Peter's now having to deal with replacing a fallen leader, sometimes in church life. We have to deal with these difficult issues. And thank God for the Peters among us that are willing to stand up and face it. And this was a scandal. You know, over the past year, there have been a couple of well-known pastors of mega churches that have committed suicide. One in Orlando not too long ago uh, discovered he was involved in, in extramarital affairs. Uh, it came to light. And he was separated from his wife, was in his apartment, and took his life. That's very sad. It's very tragic. It seems like every other week there is a, another pastor that has fallen into some controversy, some moral impropriety. And so there are times that leaders have to be replaced. I mean, could you imagine in a church this size, if one of our pastors did something crazy, and it can happen because we're all flawed human beings in need of God's grace each and every day, but then they went and they committed suicide, and we'd have to come the next Sunday and stand before you and say, wow, this is what happened. We've got to deal with it. As unpleasant as it is, we've got to face it. We've got to, we've got to deal with it. And that's what Peter was doing. And, and Peter's heart was broken because he's thinking, maybe I could have done more to reach out to Judas. Maybe I could have prayed for him more. Maybe I, maybe I you know, what, 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 was, what was my role in all of this? But they don't just sweep it under the rug. They address it head on. And he goes on to say, Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery, falling headfirst there, which means he, that the rope broke and he fell flat on his face. His body split open, spilling out all his intestines. And it's like, wow, Peter, you know, do you have to go in such graphic detail? That's part of the healing process. You've got to call it for what it is. You've got you to give enough information, not too much, where you get into the gory details, but you've got to give enough information so that people can move on to a place of healing. Sometimes when there's a, a controversy in a church or in a large ministry, uh, a representative comes up and says, our pastor is taking a leave of absence. Uh, he needs some time away. Please keep him in prayer. Well, what happened? Uh, well, that's just a private matter between he and, and the church and, and the Lord and his family. No, it's not. When, when, when somebody becomes a public figure and a public leader, the people that put their trust in that leader, they need to know, not all the gory details, but they need to know what is the sin that they've committed. Timothy, Paul wrote, wrote to Timothy, he said, those that, those that sin, those who are leaders in sin, rebuke before everyone. That's part of that person's healing and restoration. That's part of the church's healing and restoration so they can move beyond this, this scandal and this tragedy and this heartbreak. So, Jude, uh, so Peter gives some details here. Um, it goes on to say, uh, the news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem and they gave the place in the Aramaic name, Akaldama which means field of blood. Peter continued, 
Uh, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. So the stipulation was they had to be with us the entire time. They had to be an eyewitness of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will, be, will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men. So they had candidates. They boiled down to two men. Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. When they all prayed, O oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots. This doesn't sound too spiritual. It says then they cast lots and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. And that's how this first chapter ends and you need to know something about casting lots. It was a practice that you find throughout the Old Testament that this is the last time and that it's mentioned in the New Testament, okay? And so it was something that was practiced in the Old Testament, but it's not something that we carry into the, the New Testament. And once again, this becomes a description of what happened, not a pattern of how we're to select spiritual leaders um, in our midst. Yes, we pray. Yes, we go through a process. Yes, we try to find the best candidates. And at the end of the day, you've got to pray and trust that the right one was selected. You know, here at Trinity, um, we are an elder-governed congregation, which means we have seven elders. I'm one of the elders, chairman of the board of elders, uh, seven men, uh, uh, four of which are not paid, do not work for Trinity Church, independent uh, spiritual men in the congregation. And uh, uh, the way business is conducted here is by a majority vote. Uh, <clears throat> there has to be a two-thirds vote uh, at a gathering of one of our meetings in order for something to pass. Uh, that's called Robert's rule of law, and there are certain uh, practices that we incorporate to ensure that we are above board and blameless as an organization. But we don't depend on that. We, we like 100% agreement on important initiatives that we need to move forward. So we pray and we discuss and sometimes we debate and we share our hearts and we want to know the mind of God and, and we come to a, a place of decision where decision needs to be made. And, you know, it kind of would be easy if you could kind of like just flip a coin, you know, like, okay, God, we're between a rock and a hard place. We don't know. Should we build the building? Should we not build the building? Heads, we build the building. Tails, we don't build the building. Heads, yes, we get to build the building. No, you know. Or, I mean, could you imagine as a young single, you're, you, you're, you're looking to be married to somebody one day, and you're like, okay, well, there are some wonderful prospects in church. Uh, let me put all their names in a cup, and then I'll pull out one name, and that's the one, God. Okay, Lord, let it be the one I really want. You know, not let me one more time. That didn't work, you know. It just would be so simple. But life doesn't have those easy buttons like we would like, right? We have to deal with the, the pain and we have to deal with the reality of things that have happened. That's what they're doing here. And at the end of the day, we have to trust God. Now, the book of Proverbs does say that, uh, you know, by the casting of lots, contention cease, ceases. And I know that as a parent raising two boys, you know, you can't always prefer the firstborn. Well, can I get in the front seat today, Dad? No! He's the firstborn. He's the oldest. He gets the front seat all the time. You know, that just wouldn't be good parenting, right? You know, so you can't always throw around that firstborn, right? So uh, there were times that, that they would get in a little disagreement. I'd say, okay, let's get a coin. So heads or tails, come on. Oh, no, 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 heads or tails. We're going we're gonna to end this right now. And then whoever wins, wins. 
You blame it on the quarter, all right? Um, but the Bible does say that ultimately the, 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 in one translation says the dice is rolled, but the decision comes from God. But hopefully you don't live your life by just throwing the dice. That you learn how to study scripture, get godly counsel, pray, seek God, and make prayer, scripture-based, prayerful, prayerfully informed, important decisions in life. God blessed this because their hearts were right. They were coming out of the Old Testament, entering into a whole new covenant and learning how to depend. And there's an example in, in Acts 15 when they had to come to a point of decision. They didn't cast lots. They depended on the Holy Spirit. So when we get there, uh, we will we'll share that with you uh, together. 30 years ago today, a former pastor of Trinity Church, Ron Waldrobe, 30 years ago today, tragically died in a plane accident. The church at that time, some of you were a part of the church then, went through a very difficult time, had to go through a time of healing because leadership had to stand up in this very pulpit, this very platform one week later and, and deal with the loss of a senior pastor and how to replace that. See, some of you have lost some things in life. Sometimes there are things that you lose that cannot be replaced this side of eternity. There are some things that can be replaced. But when we come together as a church, united in prayer, and we love one another, and we encourage and support one another, what God can replace in our life that has been taken, has been lost, has been forfeited, then he will. And God has a process in order for, to accomplish that if we will continue to keep our eyes on him no matter what. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we humbly come before you today. We thank you for all the things that we're learning, so much information, Lord. I thank you that this is being videotaped and recorded. Thank you that there are notes that we can go back to so that we can really embed the truth of what happened here in Acts 1, 2,000 years ago, and how it applies to our lives today. Bless your people with your word today, God. I know you have. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you can know his love, grace, and forgiveness. Just simply open up your heart right where you're seated. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God and raise him from the dead, you will be saved. So say this prayer. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Out loud with the rest of us. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family? We love you. Have an awesome day.